0: want to welcome each of you to Hill Country Bible Church, whether you're joining us online or at Steiner Ranch, Leander Lakeline. It's great to be together, to seek God together, and wow, our eyes have been open this past week to all the things that God has been doing through the great adventure, and that's so exciting. In addition to that, our new lead pastor, Tim Cool is moving into his office, and we started the onboarding, so I, I call it the, infram- the um historical informational data dump, all the stuff that's happened over all the years. And it was so amazing as I was going through the history of the church and the things that have happened, and I'm just blown away by all that God has done over the years. And then Friday morning, I get invited onto a call, and this call is with the executive team that gives leadership to the state of South Carolina's education department. In other words, they oversee the whole education system in the state of South Carolina, 11 members of this team, and they call me, and they want to talk about something that's going on in Austin. So they've heard that the ministry that the churches have started here to eliminate the illiteracy of kindergarten through third grade, to have every student reading by third grade, what we call education connection. Many of you are mentors in that, that That is changing, literally changing the dynamics of education in our city. And they said, like, we want to know as much about it as we possibly can. We want to see whether the churches in South Carolina will do what the churches in Austin are doing. And so... Like, I don't know how I end up on these phone calls except that God's working in our city And people know about it. So what starts here changes the world. South Carolina, India, like God is working. It's not all bad news out there, folks. God is on the move. So my curiosity today is, like, how's your sight? Like, how you doing with that? I don't mean your physical eyesight. I mean, how is your perception of what's going on around you? How is that now? You know, there were a group of researchers that decided that they were going to test people to see, like, raw on the street, what things are like for people. And so they got a clown, dressed the clown up, had a unicycle, and they parked him right in the middle of a major pedestrian area where people would have to walk by, and then they got researchers to stand a couple yards away, and as people passed the clown, they stopped people and they asked this question, "'Did you see anything unusual?' Now, everybody said yes, a clown on a unicycle, except for a group of people that were looking at their phone. Now, here's what's interesting. Three out of four people walking down the street, having to make eye contact ahead to actually be able to navigate, three out of the four people on their phone missed the clown. And when the researchers told them to turn around and look behind them, this is what they saw. <laughs> See that guy right there? He's missing the clown. Here's what the researchers said. They said the brain has an uncanny ability to block out the unusual, especially when it's focused. They passed the clown. The clown was on the path of their life, but not in their mind. They never saw him. So when it comes to seeing God at work, how are you doing with that? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you believe the Bible, the Bible clearly teaches that one of the key characteristics of who God is, an attribute of God, is that God is omnipresent from the Latin word, omni, meaning all, present, that means that God is actually present everywhere, all at the same time. There's not a place where God is not aware, involved, and present. So wherever you go, God is with you. There's no place, no time, never when God isn't with you. And some of you are going, oh, (laughs) I wish I'd have thought about that last night. <laughs> God is with you all the time. So why is it that we often hear and we frequently say as Christians, well, where was God when this happened? Or, like, God is seem so distant, or God is absent here. Where was God when this went down? Why is it that we say that all the time when we actually believe that God is always with us. And I would suggest that we struggle to focus enough on God to actually see his presence and see him working. In fact, the the thing I want you to take away from this message, the big idea is this. Those who seek God will see God's presence and power everywhere. In other words, if you open your eyes and you begin to look, you're going to begin to start seeing God. And that will powerfully change your life. So students, I'm just curious. You probably saw God working this week through the great adventure more than you saw God working in the week prior or what you'll probably see in the week coming. Why? Because this week you were dialed in. This week you were looking. This week you were serving him. This week you were praying for things to happen. And when we do that, then we actually, by seeking God, will see God, um, and we'll see his presence, his power, because it's all there, all the time, everywhere. Now, I would ask you to open your Bibles to 2 Kings, chapter, 2 Kings chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at the prophet Elisha today. We started looking at Elisha last week, and Elisha is the prophet that was bold enough to pray that his predecessor, his mentor, Elijah, would pass along a double portion of his spirit, that that would happen, and it would transform his whole life. And so Elijah did pass that on to Elisha, and we see that he did twice as many miracles, 28 miracles in all, and a lot of them have to do with being able to discern what God is doing to see it and to respond now, he lived in a time after King Ahab, the wicked king of Israel and his, his wife Jezebel, had established Baal worship, was killing all the prophets. And when Ahab's son Joram came to the throne, which is during the time of Elisha, when he came to the throne, he got rid of Baal worship. He didn't start fully worshiping God, but he was no longer antagonistic to the prophet. They had a cordial relationship. And we're going to pick up the story and you're just, we're going to look at two scenes today where Elisha can see because he seeks God. So here's the first thing we learn in the first story, and that is this, that God is present protecting his people. You ever feel like you're vulnerable? Well, God's with you all the time. He's present protecting his people, if you could just see, if you could just see. So let's dive into the passage. Starting in verse 8 of chapter 6, we're going to see four miracles in this passage, and they all have something to do with sight. So we begin with this. The king of Aram, thinks Syria. Aram is the ancient name for Syria. The king of Syria was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, "'I will set up my camp in such and such a place.'" In other words, he's going to a place to ambush the king of Israel. The man of God, that's Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God time and time again. Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard against such places. Now, think about this. Elisha has supernatural insight. He knows where the enemy is camping in ambush, and so he keeps protecting the king. Now, if you were the king of Aram, what would you think? And here's what we find in verse 11. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, will you not tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? He thinks there's a spy among his people that's getting the word out because how else could this happen? And their response is this, none of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom in other words elisha has supernatural ability to see what's going on with you because god is in charge and he is listening and following god first miracle well what's the king going to do well he's going to go after him right so verse 13 second miracle go find out where he is the king ordered so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he's in Dothan. Now, we, we know the city of Dothan, we know where it's located, the ruins there, and, and we know a little bit about the city. The city's on a little bit of a hill with plains surrounding it and mountains in the background, which will matter in the story. Then he sent horses and chariots, a strong force, which doesn't necessarily mean a large force, but these were probably like SEAL Team 6 a group of his strong fighters capable of taking a small city. So he sends a strong force um, went, and they went by night and surrounded the city. Then the servant of the, when the servant of the man of God got up, so it's morning now, went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city and his response is, oh my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. He's freaked out. In response, Elisha says, don't be afraid. The prophet answered, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Picture it in your mind. The servant goes, that's two against them? What's taking place here? You see, for the servant, he's freaked out. Why is he freaked out? Because all he can see are his circumstances. Besides, you know, we all know that seeing is believing, right? It makes total sense. Seeing is believing. In contrast, Elisha is looking through the eyes of conviction. In other words, he believes that God is with him. So it's like, and God, there's more of us than there are of them. So believing that God is present, that he protects us, that he's with us, that actually is seeing. Now, for those of you who put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible makes this really clear. Jesus in Matthew 28, 20, when he's getting ready to leave, says, listen, I am with you always to the very end of the age. I'm going to physically be moving out, but I will be with you. I will always be with you. And God in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 says, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. I'm never going to leave you in the lurch. I'm never going to leave you alone. I'm never going to put you in a situation where I back out and just say, hey, I wonder what's going to happen now. Let's watch. He is always with us. That's what Elisha believes. And so therefore, Elisha is saying, hey, there's more of us than them. But Elisha can also see through spiritual eyes. Look what happens. Verse 17, Elisha prayed, O oh Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. See, the whole host of God's army, the army of angels, has surrounded those who have surrounded the city. Elisha can see what God is doing and now he performs the second miracle by opening the eyes of his servant and all of a sudden his servant goes from freaked out to calm. Now let me ask you a question. Think about this for a moment. If Elisha would have never opened the eyes of his servant by praying that his eyes would be open, would that mean that the angel armies would not have been there? The angel armies are there. Just like God is with you all the time, the angel iris are there. So, just because you can't see God all the time doesn't mean He's not present with you. So, here's one of the most important things, parents, that you can do for your children. The culture says that if you're a good mom or dad, you will spend your life advocating for them and solving their problems and fixing the world in such a way that they're never disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) And what you find, I can tell from your reaction, what you find is all that happens is their expectations for how life ought to be perfect keep going higher and higher and higher. And some of you are worn out. And God never intended for you to fix all their problems or solve all their disappointments. Here's what God wants you to do. God wants you to pray for your kids that their eyes would be open so they can see him that they can begin to recognize that in their disappointments and frustrations, they didn't get play in time, they didn't make the team, they didn't get a straight A, somebody said something mean to them on social media. In all of those things, God is still here, and God's got something for them. Confidence to build, faith to grow, resilience to gain, all kinds of beautiful, wonderful things, and here's the most important part. Your children will stop thinking that it's your job, depending on you, parent, to make their life perfect, and they'll begin to look to a greater father, God Himself, who will carry them through the rest of their life. What a profound thing to reject what everybody else who doesn't know God in the culture is doing. Stop that. And start doing what's best for your child. Pray that their eyes would be open. Walk them through the ways of God. Invest in praying with them about what God is doing. And in that, what you're doing is you're raising a child to see the greater power, the greater person in their life. First two miracles. But it's not done. There's two more in this section. So what's going to happen? Verse 18, as the enemy came down toward him, Elijah prayed to the Lord. Okay, strike these people with blindness. Maybe some of your children's enemies. Pray that prayer over them. Strike them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Elijah told them, this is not the road, this is not the city, follow me and I will lead you to the man you're looking for. So obviously the blindness was a cloud for them not to be able to recognize what was going on, but they were still able to go because he takes them 11 miles and he led them to Samaria, the capital city, the walled city where the king's army was, and he brings them right into the middle of the city. After entering the city, Elijah said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so that they can see. And all of a sudden, they know they are trapped and they are doomed. And the Lord opened their eyes. They looked there in Samaria when the king of Israel saw them. he said to Elijah, can I kill him? Can I kill him? Like, uh, you can just see him like, oh, man, I finally have a chance to beat my enemy. You know what? Elisha said to him, no, you're not going to kill him. Bring some tables out here and some food We're going to feed them. And the enemies sit down with each other and have a feast together. What's God teaching? Love your enemies. The other thing that's happening at the table is that in the ancient Near East, when two warring groups of people sat down and had a meal together, like that was starting the process of peace negotiations. And that group of soldiers who left there Went back, and the Bible says that the rating stopped. The rating stopped. You see, Elisha can see God because he seeks God and was able to give sight to the blind, to blind those who had sight, all working to show people that God is present and God can protect the people around him. Now we move to the second story in the passage, which is (laughs) even more incredible than this particular story, and we learn something really important in this as well, and that is God is present. God is present all the time, get that, providing for his people. So not only does God protect us, but God gives us what we need in life. He provides for his people. So picking up in chapter 6... In verse 24, sometime later, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, mobilized his entire army and he marched up and laid siege to Samaria. So the, the peace didn't last forever. Sometime later, we don't know how long it was, a year, two years, or whatever, but the king says, okay, I'm going to go take these people. So he goes up, lays siege to Samaria. What that means is he puts a fighting force around the city and they just wait it out. Rather than trying to breach the walls, they're going to starve the people to death with no food coming in and no food going out. It's not going to be long before everybody gets hungry And so we read, there was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels of silver and a quarter of a cab of seed pods for five shekels. Now, I won't go into the details of what it's like to eat a donkey's head, but my guess is that you're not going to order one today for lunch. In addition to that, 80 shekels of silver is two pounds of silver or one donkey's head, and the pods, the animals ate the pods, but there's no nutrition there. What's happened? The economy has completely broken down. Inflation has skyrocketed. Resources are so scarce that they're eating the weeds and eating their animals that are there to work for them. That's how bad it is. In fact, we read that it gets worse. As the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried to him, Help me, my lord, the king. Literally, the Hebrew is, Save me, O king. Now remember Elisha's name. My God is salvation. She's crying out to the king. Save me, king. And the king knows he has nothing to give her. In fact, the king replied, If the Lord does not help you, where can I get help for you? From the threshing floor? Like, there's no grain in the city. From the wine press? Obviously, there are no grapes in the city. Then he asked her, what's the matter? Now, listen carefully, because this is a terrible, terrible, terrible story of people suffering. She answered, this woman said to me, give up your son so that we may eat him today and tomorrow will eat my son. So we cooked my son and ate him. The next day I said to her, give up your son so we may eat him. But she had hidden him. I don't know if she's asking the king to help her find the son or if she's just grieving because I've never been in a place or lived in a country where war had created such deprivation that's unimaginable. Some of you have. Some of you came from places where you know what it's like to see the overwhelming cruelty of humanity and the devastation to individuals. In fact, it's happening all over the country. That's why we in the United States ought to be the most grateful people. Because throughout the history of the world, terrible things like this have happened. And in the world today, they continue to happen. Now, just because something is in the Bible... That God's had recorded in here, so we could see what people actually did, doesn't mean that He condones what they did. Obviously, God's not in favor of cannibalism. Obviously, He's not. But that's the level of despair that the people had gotten to. And watch the king's response. When the king heard the woman's words, he tore his ropes. That's a sign of, like, I have nothing. I'm broken. The people looked, and there underneath, he had sackcloth on his body. So he was putting on a good front. I'm the king, but underneath, he was wearing sackcloth, which is what you did when you were in desperate mourning. He said, May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if the head of Elisha, son of Shaphat, remains on his shoulders today. He now blames it on God. He blames it on Elisha. He says, today we are going to execute him. And then he sends an executioner, immediately dispatches him to go kill Elisha. We pick back up in verse 30 when the king heard the, excuse me, in verse 32. Now Elisha was sitting in his house and the elders were sitting with him and the king sent a messenger ahead. That's the executioner. But before he arrived, Elisha said to the elders, Elisha sees stuff. Don't you see how this murderer, the king, that's the king, is sending someone to cut my head off? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold it shut against him is not the sound of his master's footsteps behind him. In other words, hold the executioner out until the king gets here and then let him in. And that's what happens. While he was still talking to them, the messenger came down to him and the king said, this disaster is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Like, I'm going to kill you, the prophet, and then I'm going to open the gates, and we'll let the the Arameans in, and we're going to surrender to them. Why should I keep trying to wait on the Lord? I'm done. This is over. What does Elisha say? Elisha said, hear the words of the Lord. This is what the Lord says about this time tomorrow. A sea of flour will sell for a shekel, and two seas of barley will for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. The officer on whom whose arm the king was leaning, that's his lead officer, said to the man of God, Look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heaven, could this happen? And Elisha's response is, You will see it with your own eyes, answered Elisha, but you will not eat any of it. What's going on? God has delayed intervening in the life of the king and of the city Until he fully has their attention. Until he fully has their attention. And we know he's got their attention because the king now admits, I got nothing, and God is the one who's caused this, and he's blaming it on God. Let me tell you, at the moment in your life when things fall apart to the point where you know that there's nothing you can bring to the table and you are so frustrated that you start to get angry at God, that is a beautiful moment. Because in that moment, God has finally got your attention. Now the question is, what are you going to do with that? Because there's another guy in the story right here. This is the official that supports the king, and his response when he hears the prophecy that by tomorrow the economy will be back to normal and there'll be plenty for everybody, he makes this statement. He says, even if heaven opened and the floodgates of heaven poured food down on this city. There's not enough resources in heaven to give everybody what they need to fill all their pantry shelves, to fill all the H-E-B shelves so the whole place has it, and the economy changed in such a way that the prices get back to normal. So there's no chance that this could happen. What's he saying? He's saying God can't do it. And that's one response when you find yourself angry at God saying, God, why is this happening to me? Where are you? I'm angry. At that moment, you've got one of two choices. God's got your attention. You can say, God, you're worthless. There's nothing you can do. You can't fix this problem and I'll go navigate it on my own. Or, like Elijah says, okay, God, you have the provisions, you can. Now what's interesting is that that response of doubting God's ability and saying God can't do it, that actually results in you missing the blessing. The prophet tells that man, this is going to happen tomorrow and you will see it, but you will not eat of it. How many of you feel like you're under siege? There's no movement in your life. Like resources are getting scarce maybe in your relationship with your spouse or your kids you just see it dwindling down and there's losing capital and things are not going well maybe it's in in your in your finances and you see them disappearing and you're thinking like this if this keeps up what's going to happen what's going to happen it could be in a whole bunch of areas and you feel like you're under siege and you're starting to say god where are you That's at the point where you now are ready to listen and begin to seek God. And God has the resources to provide all that you need. We see it unfold in the story. So, while all that's going on in the city, outside the gates of the city are four lepers. And these four lepers are having a logical conversation. They are outside the city because they wouldn't be let in normally because they have leprosy and everybody was afraid they'd be contagious. So it's like they have COVID and so they're, you know, they're isolated or whatever you want to remember from those days. Um, and so they're, they're outside the city. So they start thinking, well, like if we could get them to let us back in the city, um, there's no food in there, so we would die. If we stay out here, there's no food out here, so we would die. What if we went to the Aramean camp and begged them for food? Now, what could happen there is they could kill us. Obviously, we're the enemies, right? They could kill us. Either way, we're going to die. But just maybe somebody will give us some table scraps. And so they go. When they get there, there are no soldiers and everything, the supplies for the siege to feed the army for however long it takes, plus all the plunder of all the cities that they've raided along the way, which would have been gold and silver and all kinds of good stuff, it's all there in the tents that are still set up, even the horses and the donkeys are tied up, but there's not a single human being there. The passage tells us the reason why is because... As it started to get dark, they heard the sound of chariots and hooves coming from the Hittites in the north and from the Egyptians in the south, and they thought that the king of Israel, Joram, had paid the mercenaries to come in a pincer move and crush them in the middle, and in the confusion of hearing the loudness of those groups coming, they took off to the east, going back home, to get out of there. And they didn't even take their horses. They wanted it to be quiet so they wouldn't be followed. And guess who was really coming? It wasn't the Hittites. It wasn't the Egyptians. It was God's angel army was making all kinds of noise. And they ran. So here they are at the camp. What do they do? Well, in verse 8, The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp and entered one of the tents. They ate and they drank and they carried away silver, gold, and clothes. Went off and hid them. Then they returned and entered another tent, took some things from it, hid them also. Then they said to one another, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news and we're keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let us go at once and report this to the royal palace. Now, this is an interesting moment in history because here you have a group of people who are disenfranchised, kicked out of the city, isolated because of a condition that they did not bring on themselves. But they recognize that they have a responsibility to their fellow man regardless. That God is watching And you may have been treated badly along the way, but that does not give you the right to withhold blessing. We live in a culture that's exactly opposite of that. If you've been disenfranchised or hurt, then you need to isolate people out of your life, get rid of them. You need to look out for yourself. It doesn't matter. That's not the way of God. And these guys get it. In fact, they actually become a picture of salvation. There they are. Isolated, outside the fellowship, they've got a disease that's killing them. In the same way that people who come to faith in Jesus recognize our separation from God and how the sin in our life is bringing condemnation. They go and they receive grace, something they didn't deserve. They walk into the camp and it's filled with blessings in the same way that we come to Jesus And we come to Jesus and we receive forgiveness for our sins and he cleans us and brings us into his kingdom, his fellowship, his inheritance. That's all given to us as a free gift. And then we're called to go share what we've experienced with all the people around us, to share the good news. You know what the word good news means? It means gospel, to share the good news. So how could we have received this good news and not tell others. We ought to be people that are constantly telling people about God's love and his grace and how they can have a relationship with himself. So they go running back to tell the king uh, and they get to the gate and they, they give the word and the word gets passed on and finally it makes it to the king and the king says, wait a minute, this is a trap. How many miracles do you have to see, Joram, before... You stop seeing with your eyes and start believing. He's seen all these miracles. And yet, to him, hey, we got to be careful. He, he thinks the airman's are hiding in the hills and they're going to come down as soon as they go out there. So... One of, his, one of his lieutenants is looking at him like, hey, man, we're going to start. We've got to do something. We've got to do something. So he finally agrees to let two chariots leave, leave the city. and they, they drive out to the Aramean camp, just like the lepers say. So they start following the trail of the Arameans, and they find strewn on the way. You know how you start out, you think you can carry more than you think, especially when it's gold and stuff? And they find it scattered all the way to the Jordan River. So they take the chariots 25 miles to the Jordan River and all the way back, two horsepower, took a while. In fact, it took all night. And they finally get back and they explain it to the king, which is interesting because Elisha prophesied at this time tomorrow. If the king would have believed, they would have gone out, but he knew the king wouldn't believe. Some of us, cynical as we are, if it's too good to be true, it's not true. That's our our mantra. That's what we say, right? Uh, The cynic in us is constantly saying, if God would just show me a miracle, if he just show up, show me a miracle, I would believe. How many miracles have we looked at that Elisha's performed for Joram? And he still delays because for him, seeing is believing. For Elisha, believing is seeing. So he finally lets him go And we see in verse 16, Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Arameans. So a sea of flour sold for a shekel, and two seas of barley sold for a shekel, as the Lord had said. In other words, what the the city needed was an army of food. And guess what God provided? An army of food. Literally, by the end of the day, the economy was back to normal, the shelves were filled, and everything was selling for normal. Everything was brought back. Now the king had put the officer on whose arm he had leaned in charge of the gate, and the people trampled him in the gate. And he died, just as the man of God had foretold when the king came down to his house. It happened as the man of God had said to the king about this time tomorrow, a sea of flour will sell for a shekel, and two seas of barley will sell for a shekel. And remember the officer said, God can't do this. And he said, God's going to do it, but you're not going to eat of it. And literally, as he's standing in the gate and starving people rush through there, they trample him to death. And here he's here, like, oh man, may that never be me that I would die in my unbelief being trampled by those going to experience a blessing, a stampede of blessing passing me by, passing you by because we couldn't see what God was doing And in our unbelief, we sat on the sidelines and absolutely missed it. I want to give you two things as we wrap up that I think are real important. Here's the first one. The first one is to see God let go of your expectations. I think the biggest challenge that we have is when we need God's help, or when we need God's insight, we have already decided how the circumstances must work out. If God shows up, the circumstances must work out my way, and so therefore all we're doing is looking at our good idea, and God doesn't want to bless your good idea. He wants to bless his divine work in you. It reminds me of the time that Jesus is in the garden and the troops come to get him, to arrest him, to take him to trial. And Peter does what you do when your master's being arrested by soldiers. He pulls out his sword and he whacks and cuts off the ear of one of the servants there. That's about how good my good ideas are. And yours too. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, Peter, put away your sword. Do you not know that if I asked my father, he would send 12 legions of angels to stop this little group of 30 or 40 soldiers from putting me in chains? Now, for those of you who've studied Roman military, you know that at that time, that was half of the number of Roman legions. 12 legions? like half the Roman army, only every one of those angels was obviously more powerful than a centurion. What's Jesus saying? The host of heaven are at God's command. And most of us would have said, the only way this situation could have worked out for me is if I got delivered and I had no pain in my life and everything worked out. And I am so glad that Jesus did what God's plan was because we are saved through his suffering and death. And there are going to be times when God's plan for you is to go through something challenging but he will be with you and he'll carry you through that. He'll provide along the way. He'll protect you in that. But if you've got expectations that the only way God shows up is me winning the lottery, you're going to miss him every time. You've got to start with looking for him, not looking for your solutions. Here's the second one. To see God, assume his presence and look for him. In other words, by faith, if you will begin to embrace the truth that God is always with me, that's the starting point. Now with that firmly embedded in your soul, now you start to actively look for him in your life, in what he's doing in your life. Jesus said it this way. He said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and 8, he said, ask, seek, knock. All of those phrases in the Greek are actually continuous presence. In other words, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Why? Why would he do that? Like I just want to ask once. He does for me what I want, then he goes away. I do my life. It's the worst thing that could ever happen to you. So anybody here remember driver's training? Anybody remember taking that? Do you remember one of the first rules? The first rule is keep your eyes on the road, right? Why? Because you can't just look up 35 and go, oh, yeah, I see where I'm going. Chat, 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 text, 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 chat, chat, chat. You will not stay on course. If you don't continue to look, and the same thing is true in your life with God. If you don't keep asking, if you don't keep seeking, if you don't keep knocking, remember the promise for everyone who asks will receive. He who seeks, he will find. He who knocks, the door will be open. God's going to open doors to those who are seeking him. God's going to provide for those who are asking. God is going to do the things in your life that he wants to do as you keep your eyes on him. Those who seek him will see him. You'll see his presence, his power, his provision, his protection. You will see that in your life. Every night, Cindy and I pray together. We hold hands and we pray. Sometimes when she's too tired, I pray for both of us. And sometimes when I'm too tired, she prays for both of us. But most of the time, we both pray. We pray out loud and we just pour out. Our request to God. And you know, we've been doing this for a while. And there are are some prayer requests that we've been praying for for years. God hasn't answered that prayer request the way we're praying. We keep seeking His answer. We keep praying. And then there are some times when literally within 24 hours we pray for something and we see it happen. And you know what we don't say? Oh, that was coincidence. Do you realize that could be the greatest sin that a person would commit against God and against yourself to chalk what God did in your life up to coincidence? Like, what a waste of your life to think that the blind forces of the universe? Come on. We're more rational than that, right? God's at work. God answers our prayers and we are blown away but I can tell you if I wasn't praying if I wasn't investing the effort if we weren't doing that together we would miss so much my question to you is will you embrace that God is always with you and will you begin to shape your life clear the crud out of your life to give yourself time to truly seek him. You're going to be blown away by the God of the universe. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, I just thank you for each person here. I thank you for your spirit at work, and I pray that the convicting work of your spirit would overwhelm us in such a way that we would hunger for you, that we would love you, that we would desire our lives to be framed by you and you alone, and that that would sweep us into a place of seeing you, seeing your power and glory, and seeing your intimacy with each of us in our lives. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.